Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue in the Lord's Prayer and God willing there'll be one or two more lessons after this and we will be done and we'll be able to talk about what we want to study over the summer but for now we continue on the fifth petition this is our third lesson on the fifth petition and that states forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors let's read the passage and then we'll pray and jump in beginning in verse 9 pray then in this way our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen i'm going to read verses 14 and 15 for us <clears throat> for if you forgive others their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others then your heaven then your father will not forgive your transgressions our father we ask that you would help us this evening to consider the truth of the Lord's Prayer we thank you for what we have learned over the past several months and Lord we long to apply this we want to be concerned with your glory first and foremost that your name would be hallowed that your kingdom would come that your will would be done Lord we know that those things are happening perfectly under your sovereign rule and Lord as we pray for our daily bread our sustenance uh, to get us through clothing or shelter those types of things Lord we express our dependence upon you and our trust in you and as we consider the great gravity and debt of our sin and, and our great need to have our sin forgiven the great wonderful thing it is to consider that there has been a substitute to die in our place for our sin Lord give us understanding and especially on this last phrase Lord that we would indeed forgive others as we have been forgiven so be with us now we pray in Jesus name amen <clears throat> well I'm not going to give a whole lot of review but we have spent two weeks considering this fifth petition on the Lord's Prayer uh, we've noted that our debt is huge because of our sin is great and the more we study the holiness of God the more we learn of God's character the more we recognize how far short we fall in the greatness of our sin if we're honest with ourselves we are guilty we deserve judgment and um, we break God's law all the time we are totally depraved we talked about sin affecting the whole man the mind the will the emotions all of our faculties and so our great need is to be forgiven well in the plan of God he has sent Christ to stand in our place and to die for us and so as we consider this topic uh, forgiveness I love what Augustine says in his confessions confession shuts the mouth of hell and opens the gate of paradise and so for us we need to keep short accounts so when we know that we have sinned we need to go to the Lord and, and repent and seek forgiveness the Holy Spirit's role on the inside is to convict and to convince of sin right 
And that's not just when we first come to the Lord, but that's ongoing through our Christian life. And so when we sense that conviction, maybe maybe something we've said, and it may come five minutes later, may come a minute later, five minutes later, it could come five days later. What I said was out of line. That's wrong. I, I've got to seek forgiveness from God first and then go to that person and seek forgiveness. But when we think of our sin, it is a wonderful thing to consider that God delights in forgiving our sin. What are some of the terms that are used as far as what he does with our sin in the Bible? Yes, Psalm 103, right? As far as the east is from the west. What else? Into the depths of the sea. Into the depths of the sea from the book of what? Micah, right? And uh, that's another analogy that he casts them as far as in the depths of the sea, that he does not remember them anymore. Now, does that mean that he has amnesia? Of course not, right? But he does not. He does not account them to us. <coughs> he delights in mercy. Christ, it, it says that he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That is, that he satisfied God's wrath. But there's a key component here that we must actually repent and confess our sin. God does not do that for us. And so we can't just go through the Christian life, oh, I'm forgiven of all my sins. I never have to confess a sin. I just live like this, da-da-da-da-da, and I get into heaven. No, that we need to be sensitive to our sin. God expects us to be shining examples of what one that is redeemed from the pit, how we live our lives. And so we can't go around living like the world if we've been converted. And so we need to um, confess our sins to him. Our sin, first and foremost, is a sin against God. As um, David says in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. And we've talked about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. So tonight as we come to this, we must forgive others of their sins. As a Christian that has tasted um, of the, the love of God, has experienced forgiveness of sins, who are we to hold a grudge against somebody? Who are we to keep a catalog of all the sins this person has done? Oh, they're, okay, they're, and now we've got this big old list, right? We can't be like that. I mean, God's not like that with us. If our sins are really as far as the east is from the west. Now, there's a place for... Um, in certain relationships to where... Okay, if something's happening over and over or whatever that, that you want to, you know, you just don't forgive the same thing for, you know, 100,000 times without addressing that, that maybe I can help you in some way in this sin that keeps happening, you know. So we're not negating that, but our mindset needs to be one of forgiveness. What are some reasons that we might want to forgive others? Kind of already touched on one of them, pretty obviously. But that's the big one, right? <laughs> because we've been forgiven. We're told to, right, in the Beatitudes, which we studied, um, well, I guess it's been a couple years now, but blessed are 
The merciful, for they shall receive mercy, the fifth one. I was thinking it was the third one. <clears throat> what else? So we are called, we are ambassadors of Christ, we are called to reconcile, right, to be reconciled to God, and then to be reconcilers. And so if there's a breach in a relationship, the dealing with that sin and seeking forgiveness is vitally important to the mending of that relationship. We didn't get to sing it tonight, it is well with my soul, we're singing it on the way down the car, but... The third verse says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And so to consider how God has taken away your sin, um, we should not be those that have a big list that we're um, you know, keeping against others. They may not deserve it, but we do it for Christ's sake. Okay? Uh, the proverb says it's a man's glory to overlook a transgression. And so rather than cataloging and all of that, it's better to overlook small petty offenses. And what, what it, somebody that's not prone to forgive, what, what's something that sets in? Bitterness. Bitterness, ex exactly right. And I think it was Thomas Watson that says, a bitter heart is the playground of Satan to exploit. And so bitterness... Um, you know, I've seen has destroyed marriages and marriage counseling 35, 40 years of being married where there is stuff that's being pulled out from 30 years ago and that's, that's not a, a root of bitterness, that's not a weed of bitterness that's, that's a redwood <laughs> of bitterness, you know and it's kind of hard to uproot a redwood tree, right? Now, we just planted our spring garden uh, all 32 square feet of it but it's uh, <laughs> very small for us, but we're happy that uh, we've had some fruit in the last year or so. But, uh, but you know, when there's just the smallest of weed, we want to get it out of there now, right? And so the same thing when you weed a garden. You don't just sit there, oh, I'll see which one grows faster and wait until it's really big and it's taken over the garden, right? We want to you uproot those things. And so, too, when it comes to offenses before you, you don't want to hold that inside. Bitterness can whelm up. Anybody want to elaborate on that? Yeah. I don't know if it's Peter that said that anger is a given foothold to the devil. If you feel bad anger, you're giving a foothold to the devil. That's kind of the same thing. Yeah, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's Ephesians 4. And yeah, that you you can give the, the devil an opportunity, I think is the language that's used there. So that's yeah, that's right. Goodness, I mean, you have that anger towards some, someone's action, and you're actually letting Satan work on your heart. Yeah, that's good. Very good. Um, so God offers forgiveness, and according to this prayer, it's if we forgive others. Now, we know that we're, we're forgiven in the court of heaven because we're justified by faith. But this strong language is used to motivate the Christian to have this mindset. Remember, the word to forgive means to release from legal or moral obligation. We talked about that, to cancel or remit 
paid in full. And that's the word that is used of us being forgiven before God, and that's how we are to forgive others. When we think of those words that forgive us as we have forgiven others, and so what you are asking God to do is to the degree that you forgive others, forgive me that much. You realize that? I mean, that, that's pretty, that, that's incredible. Forgive us our debts. Okay, so forgive us for our sins to the measure or to the degree that we have forgiven others. That's a terrifying thing if you think about it because we can never forgive 100% unconditionally and, and the way God does. And so that's a frightening thing. And so just think of, for example, Roman Catholics who read this prayer or repeat this prayer multiple times as they go through the beads. And, and there's no thought to what the words say. And so if we're going to pray this prayer, and by the way, I'm not advocating repeating this prayer, but the principles of this prayer are certainly good, and that's what we've identified. It's, it's, a, it's a guide. It's, a, it's sort of an outline of a good way to pray. It's the disciples' prayer, but the, we need to think about what we're praying Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, It is a dreadful thought that a man should ask God not to forgive him, and yet that is precisely what the unforgiving man does when he prays this prayer. You see, that's a man that is unforgiving, or a woman, is actually asking that God would not forgive him. And so, Jesus repeats this for emphasis. That's why I read verses 14 and 15. It's after the prayer, but notice that phrase. Look at it again. If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you. So not only is it stated in the fifth petition, it's repeated twice here, positively and negatively, for emphasis, right? Now many people do struggle with bitterness and um, this is something that we can all be prone to, right? That's why Paul tells us, let all bitterness, wrath, clamor be put away from you, right? Put that away from you, because that's not part, that's not a fruit of a renewed nature. That's a deed of the flesh. But the reality is, is that when we think that our rights have been violated, we think, wait a minute, I'm not dirt, you know? Doesn't he or she know who I am? what's going on here, and, and so forth, and so on. And um, Anyway, there's an illustration that I've, I've used in the past, but of an old man, I picture an old homeless man with a backpack, a large backpack, and he carries it around everywhere he goes. And you know what's in the backpack? No. Dirty diapers. Dirty diapers. And you say, what? What? Now, I know that some homeless people are, you know, maybe everything's not there from various circumstances, but why dirty diapers? Well, let me illustrate it like this. He's collected them for over 50 years, and he had collected some when he was a very young man, others in more recent years. Sometimes he would lay them all out on a wall, or like out on this patio back here, and just lay them all out and reflect on each one and how he acquired each one. He would even remember whom each diaper came from. Now, this is a crude story, obviously. Yes and amen, but listen to the point. Those diapers represent offenses 
done to him. Okay, offenses that had gone against him. He had so much bitterness and anger towards all those people that he would not let go of those things from all those different periods in his life, and he carried that around. Now that's a that's a crude story, and um, the but you know what? Somebody that's carrying around grudges goes back 30, 40, 50 years. It's it's about that foul, isn't it? I mean, it it is, it, and and it's it's something that why are we carrying that around? You don't want to carry that that around. Hebrews says, "See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God." that no root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. The next time you're tempted to become bitter, think, do you really want to carry around a dirty diaper? You know, just think along those lines. I know it's Ephesians, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. So we must forgive others our sin. One key is where we began in part one of this fifth petition, and that is to remember the enormity of our sin against God. We've already touched on that. When our eyes are open to the vileness and the grossness of our own personal sin, that usually comes from the reading of the Holy Scriptures and, and seeing and hearing how God is altogether holy and perfect and righteous in all his ways. We begin to, to lay exposed and this is why I love reading the Puritans so much, because they, as it were, will take a scalpel and, and, and open up the chest and lay back layer after layer and reveal sin after sin that perhaps you've never even thought that, you, that you're guilty of. And they, they begin to expose that to you so that you're, you're crying out, Lord, have mercy on me. And you begin to see the greatness of your sin before a perfect and holy God. But the reality is, is that some Christians have an exaggerated view of the sin of others rather than their own sin. And they allow that to fester. Christians can do this, well-meaning Christians, by falling into self-esteem, falling into pride, not cultivating humility, you know, thinking that they're not so bad and repeating that to themselves. I'm not so bad, I'm not so bad, I'm not so bad, you know. And, um, listening to, to bad teaching, because that's pretty much what a lot of the even broad evangelical teaching is, is that you're you're a good person. You just got to you just got to realize how good you are, and, and that kind of self-esteem garbage. Comparing yourself to others, you're all, anybody. Everybody can find somebody that's more sinful than themselves. There's no fruit in finding than accomplishing that. Neglecting. The word of God and praying uh, to where we begin to have a blurred reality. We don't really see things clearly because, you know, if we're out of fellowship and we're not in the word and those types of things, and, and a Christian can become so backslidden that they've twisted and began to believe what is wrong is right and right is wrong. In Matthew 18, I know we looked at this um, in recent studies, but you remember the parable of the, oh, let's just turn there, Matthew 18. We're already turned to Matthew anyway, so. Remember the context, the Lord 
or Peter comes to, to our Lord and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but seventy times seven times. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have any means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So, verse 26, the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself and said, Have patience with me, I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him of his debt. Okay, so what do we have? We have a picture here of a man that has a debt that could never be paid. It's, you know, it's millions of dollars in today's language, okay? It, it just couldn't be paid. And, and but, but he falls down and says, have patience with me and I will repay. And the master has compassion upon him. But look at verse 27, or 28. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. So in other words, about three, four months wages compared to millions of dollars. And he seized him and he began to choke him and said, pay back what you owe. So the slave fell down to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. The same exact words, right? But he was unwilling and he went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what he owed. So, when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported it to their Lord, all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that is owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. There's several things that could be said here, but we see here a picture of two slaves. One owes a whole, whole lot. One owes a, an amount that, that's reasonable that can be paid. The one with the huge debt is forgiven. What's that a picture of? Our sin before God, right? We have a we have a debt that we could never pay, okay? Never pay. But we've been forgiven so much. And then notice it's fellow slaves, almost like fellow human, going back, wait a minute, you owe me this, you know, and choking him and putting him into prison and exacting payment, right? <clears throat> and that's a picture of how some can treat one another. And so the Lord, picture of you know, our Lord, summons him and says, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt, all that sin, because you pleaded with me, should you not have had mercy with your fellow slave. Now notice the last verse, I read it quickly, verse 35. Okay, Jesus now directs this to the disciples. Remember, Peter came to him with a question, right? In the context, the disciples are here. And Jesus says this phrase, and it, this goes right along with the, 
uh, petition that we're looking at in the Lord's Prayer. My Heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So it's not as though Jesus is directing this to the crowds. He's directing this to his followers. And so to me, that just puts an explanation point on this exhortation that we ought to forgive others of their sin. We need to be careful not to have logs in our eyes, as it says in Matthew 7, but to take the log out before we go to take the splinter out in our brother's eye. Our sin is usually so great, you know, it's, there's some people that think they're, they're uh, sin detectives, you know, and I can see the sin in you, I can see the sin in you, I can see the sin in you, but I'm blind to my own sin, right? <laughs> and we need to be very careful that we don't fall into that, and there, and what is that, how would you phrase somebody that's like that habitually? Self-righteous, exactly. So I'm righteous in my own eyes, and that's why I'm so good at finding the sin in everybody else, right? We need to be very careful that we don't fall into that. I mean, right in Matthew 7, it says, take the log out of your own eye before you go to take the splinter. So we must keep short accounts. Something I say again and again in multiple sermons <laughs> before God and before man. We must keep short accounts. Now if Calvin over here sinned against me in some way, I would not kick him out of the house. That would be absurd, right? Especially now that he's, well, now that he's 13. But, uh, <laughs> but he would need to seek my forgiveness and I would grant that. Right? Why? So that the fellowship can be restored between son and father. And so too with us before the Lord. We don't want to be those that are running in our own strength. It's so exhausting to, when you know that, that you're not right with the Lord and you're just going about in your own strength. It's exhausting. It's weary. I mean, wearisome. We want to make that relationship right as quick as possible. Forgiveness is something that's vitally important. I have a little thing here that I'm just going to kind of read through. But the purpose of forgiveness is to restore a relationship, to bring about reconciliation. Because of our reconciliation with God, we are to spend our lives actively working to help people be at peace with God and peace with one another. And we're to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you and we've been talking about that God's grace and the gospel is our model and our motivation God is compassionate God is merciful forgiveness glorifies and reflects the character of God and it glorifies God forgiveness is costly right it costs the Lord his own son Joseph as a type of Christ was an example and he did not become embittered but served faithfully and forgave and blessed. Remember when his brothers came at the end of Genesis. So one of the things that we can do is to have a heart attitude of forgiveness. Always be willing and ready to forgive. Somebody may come to you, someone, um, you know, sinned against you, maybe it's a spouse. Be ready to forgive. Recognize that the sin is first and foremost the sin against God. And it is his word and his authority that's been violated. And 
I didn't see that. I was out of commission, but. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get to that actually because I, I do think that that is important. Believers know forgiveness, so we must forgive. Believers should never be bitter and dwell on sin, but practice disciplined thinking. Recognize that vengeance is the Lord's role, and we're not God. Withholding forgiveness is sinful vengeance. And. No vengeance means including ruling your thoughts, taking every thought captive, Second Corinthians chapter 10, our words and our actions. Now there is something as far as transacting that, remember we said what the word means is to cancel or remit, there is something to be said uh, about the idea of how can you truly forgive if the person hasn't repented. Now I'm just going to use a, an extreme situation okay picture a courtroom scene and your teenage son was murdered in cold blood okay and you're in the courtroom the murderer is there and every now and again you know you see the person broken and trying to trying to say I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry right to the family and so forth but this particular person's not and they're just smug and just sitting there now what do we do as Christians? What do you do as a Christian father? Do you go through the rest of your life hating and angry and bitter? Now, now there's a sense in which you can't just fully, I mean, there's a sense in which the transaction can't fully happen if they haven't repented and, and asked for forgiveness. But in another sense, there's a for Christ's sake, I'm going to treat this as though it's forgiven because it's just going to wear me down. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sap my strength. So what do you do in a situation like that? Tough thing, right? Yeah, that, and that's excellent counsel, and that's exactly what, I mean, one of the ways to, uh, I'm going to kind of just take a, like a parallel, but when we're going through trials and difficulties in our own lives, one of the best things to do is to actually seek to serve and to encourage others, because it takes your eyes off yourself. So the same thing in this situation, rather than focusing on your loss so much, you're praying for the betterment of that person, as you said, praying for their salvation. And there have been testimonies where um, that 
that kind of communication has happened with prisoners and they become converted. And um, I don't have one off the top of my head, but I've heard of it several times from re even reformed sources. So um, all are not outside of the hope of God and even in something as tragic as that. As that. But, <coughs> you know, so that was, that's an extreme thing. But forgiveness is a choice and a promise it's not a decision and not a feeling. I'm sorry, it is, a, it is a decision and not a feeling. To not punish or to let sin interfere with your relationship. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is a choice and a promise, right? Because you want that relationship restored that you're not going to separate yourself from that person. So you want the relationship restored. The offender should ask for forgiveness, be repentant, um, ideally, so that reconciliation can take place. And our response to re repentance is to be compassionate and merciful. There's more that could be said there, but I do want to wrap up as the beautiful breeze comes and it's starting to get a little dark. Let us determine to forgive one another, to keep short accounts before others, to come to them uh, when we have sinned and to be quick to seek forgiveness, right? So be sensitive to your own sin so that that person, so that your brother or sister will have the opportunity to grant that forgiveness, but also be quick to seek forgiveness. This petition shows that we have a duty to forgive others and we're to imitate God in that sense. Would, will we ever do it like him? Of course not, but are we are motivated um, to do this? need to heed the admonition of Paul in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, and there it is again, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We've been looking at the seven sayings of our Savior upon the cross in the Lord's Supper, and we looked at that one where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And so it is Christ-like. And praise God that your sins have been forgiven if you're a Christian. Uh, if you are in Christ, this is true. Colossians chapter 2 says, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions. It goes on to say, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross the Greek word for cancel is at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis in, in, the, in Greek there's no specific word order and so if you want to put emphasis on a certain word you put it at the beginning of the sentence so in our English translations I mean it's several words later but it's right at the beginning to emphasize this and the word is there to give emphasis to its meaning. And it means to, to remove so as to leave no trace. To remove, completely destroy, or obliterate. And so, I'll read it again. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. And so, he's made us alive together. He's forgiven us of our sins. And he's canceled out the debt that we have. He's obliterated. There's no trace. It's been removed. It's been destroyed. And that is good news. It is well with my soul. 
My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Amen.